I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. ancient China, somewhere around the year 500 BCE, the great scholar Lao Tzu was working as a keeper of records for the ruling Zhou dynasty. His name, Lao Tzu, literally translates to the old master, and the story implies that he was a scholar of some prominence, having an important position within the empire and being a very greatly learned man. But one day, possibly because of political instability and the increasing immorality of the rulers, Lao Tzu became disillusioned with his job and position and decided to give it all up. He left his position as keeper of records, all of his belongings, and started walking. His destination? Away from China, into the mountains to live the rest of his life as a hermit. But just as Lao Tzu reached the very borders of what was then China, he was stopped by a guard by the name of Jin Qi, who recognized the old master. His reputation had preceded him, and the guard recognized him as a great scholar. After Lao Tzu had explained his intentions to leave China and live as a hermit, the guard would not let him pass unless he would disclose to him some of his great knowledge. Lao Tzu agreed and proceeded on the 
spot to write down in text a summary of his knowledge in about 5,000 Chinese characters, or 81 brief chapters. He then handed the text to the guard before stepping across the border into the unexplored frontier, never to be seen again. The text that he wrote down became known as the Tao Te Ching, and also sometimes named after its author, Lao Tzu, and it became the most central and foundational text of Taoism, one of China's most important and significant religious and philosophical traditions. The story I just told you is, of course, very romantic and fascinating, but the problem with the story is that it most likely isn't true. We aren't even sure if the old master himself, Lao Tzu, is even a real historical person. But that doesn't change the fact that the text that he wrote down, the, Dao, the text that is attributed to him, the Tao Te Ching, has become one of the most important and influential texts in world history, and especially for the traditions of Taoism and Chinese religion in general. Taoism is considered one of the main religious traditions of China alongside Confucianism and Buddhism. Now, to call it a religion in the Western sense can become somewhat problematic, as we will see, but we should not neglect its importance. The name Taoism is based on that central concept called Tao. It is mentioned and talked about in all the central Taoist texts and serves as a kind of unifying theme. It can sometimes be spelled Tao with a T, but this is the same word that is just written differently because translating Chinese characters can be very difficult because it's a completely different language, a completely different alphabet. But so what is the Tao? We can consult the very opening chapters of the Tao Te Ching to maybe get an answer. Quote, the Tao, way, that can be articulately described is not the unchanging Tao or way. The name that can be said out loud is not the unchanging name. Okay, so that wasn't very helpful, obviously, but it is an important starting point to understand this concept. The Tao to these philosophers and writers is something that cannot be described, it cannot be articulated, it cannot be understood in any conceptual sense. So really, the whole enterprise of me trying to explain this to you goes against the very foundational idea of the thing I am trying to explain. But I'm gonna try anyway. The word Tao literally means, as you may have seen from the translation, a way or path. It is a word that has a very long history in the Chinese and long precedes Lao Tzu and Taoism itself. It can mean a literal way or path, like one you walk on, but it can also mean path as in a certain school of thought or a tradition, like we would say like a path to enlightenment or something like that. In ancient China, then, there were many different Taos. Uh, the, the school of uh, Confucius, known as Confucianism, was one kind of Tao, and the school of Mozart, which was another philosopher, it was another Tao. So Tao was used to denote a certain path or way to truth or the right way to structure society or the cosmos. To use more modern examples, we could see communism as a kind of Tao, or fascism also as a kind of Tao, in, in general sense, a kind of approach to life and the world in general. That is also a Tao. But sometimes during the so-called Warring States period in the last few centuries BCE, there appeared some philosophers and writers who would turn the concept of the Tao on its head completely. The first among these is thought to be Lao Tzu, the old master, but as I said, it is quite likely that he never actually existed. 
Many scholars today instead believe that the Tao Te Ching may have been composed by many different authors, and the name Lao Tzu being used as a kind of pseudonym for this larger group of writers. This was quite common back in ancient times. But regardless of its actual authorship, the text is obviously very old and still served as the foundational text for what would become Taoism, as the or maybe the first text in that kind of school of thought. We have found copies of the text from around 300 BCE, so we know that at least it is from that early on in history. The second central text comes a century or two later and is known as the Zhuangzi, named after its author, well, who lived sometime in the 4th century BCE. This text very much expands on the themes discussed in the Tao Te Ching, and let me tell you, this text is one of my absolute favorite pieces of literature in the world. It is just filled with incredibly engaging philosophical ideas and, and discussions, but at the same time also contains a great deal of humor and irony and bizarre imagery. It's just absolutely magnificent. These authors in their text, as well as other similar thinkers at the time, present a new theory or idea of what the Tao is, one that is often kind of a commentary on other schools of thought at the time. Especially in the Zhuangzi, who lived after both Confucius and Mozart, he often talks about these other philosophers in his text. And then in his text he often critiques them, and so his idea of the Tao is often in response to, or in kind of like a play with these other philosophers. To Lao Tzu and Zhuangzi, the Tao is no longer just a path or way to follow to truth. In a kind of ironic twist, the Tao becomes the very principle of existence and the universe. These new so-called Taoist uh, writers and philosophers had a, an ironic view of the Tao. To use the words of the scholar Brooks Ziporin, in this context, Tao is precisely what is free of purpose and specific guidelines, the exact opposite of the traditional meaning of Tao. That Tao, which cannot be described or articulated, is often explained as the way of nature, that the universe and nature has a natural flow or process to it, and that this is the Tao. Now, this isn't untrue, it's pretty accurate, but the Tao is also much more than that. The Tao, especially in the Zhuangzi, is like the very substance of existence and the world. It is a kind of oneness that hides beneath all apparent multiplicity. In an early section of the Zhuangzi, the author has a wonderful way of explaining this. The Tao is like the wind, he says, that travels through different holes of different shapes and sizes, and depending on the shape and size of the hole, this wind makes different kinds of noises. So the things in this world, including us, can be seen as these noises that the wind expresses. Each noise is like the individual things in the world. They are created by the emptiness of the holes, but ultimately they are all the wind, that is the Tao that is whistling in different tones. Quote, a light breeze brings a small harmony, while a powerful gale makes for a harmony vast and grand. And once the sharp wind has passed, all the holes return to their silent emptiness. So in a way, the Tao is everything, and at the same time, it is nothing in particular. It's something that cannot be understood or grasped, but at the same time, it is the very essence of everything that we experience. It is a natural way in which it flows and unfolds, and this flow is very central to the Taoist text that I mentioned. 
With this foundation in mind, what then is the actual message of these Taoist texts? Since we can only summarize it very briefly, the goal of human life is to live according to or live in harmony with the Tao. Whereas other schools of thought often focus their Tao on following certain societal principles. For example, Confucius was very ritualistically focused, performing the right rituals, showing filial piety towards your parents. The Taoist authors went the completely opposite way. The way of the Tao is simple, it's spontaneous, and it's free. It critiques the ritualism of the Confucian thinkers, for example, their formal legalisms and practices. Instead, one should live in utter simplicity, flowing with the Tao and rejecting one's individual self. This flowing with the natural way of nature is often expressed through the concept of Wu Wei, often translated to inaction or action without intent. Now, inaction should not be seen as a kind of apathy or just sitting around doing nothing. Instead, it refers to a kind of acceptance of the events of life and the flow of the universe. Wu Wei means to not go against our nature, not to impose our individual will on events, but simply to let them happen, to let the Tao do its thing, as it were. Like water, we should flow with the rhythm of the natural way and to be at harmony with it. Instead of resisting the wave and being destroyed, we should ride the wave. Quote, the consummate person has no fixed identity. The spirit man has no particular merit. The sage has no one name. But inaction is at the same time the ultimate action. It is not passivity, but action without effort. There's a difference. So just like nature, the sage gets the most done through inaction. Quote, the sage produces results and does not brag about it. He produces results, but does not praise himself for it. He produces results, but does not boast about it. He produces results because that's what he would do. And he gets things done without using any force. Lao Tzu also has a great section about water. Quote, the greatest good is like water. Water's virtue is that it benefits all creatures, but contends with none. It resides in places most men hate, thus it takes after the way or Tao. So this has clear ethical implications. The sage, the sort of enlightened man is supposed to be light like a feather. He flows like water and does not get in anyone's way. Quote, he is good to those who are good, and good to those who are not good. Quote, therefore the wise man embraces the one, and becomes the model for all under heaven. He does not make himself seen, and therefore is as bright as the sun and moon. Does not consider himself good, and therefore is a pattern for all. Does not denigrate others to make himself look good, and therefore gets the credit. Does not make himself like the arrogant grip of a spear, and therefore becomes a staff of support. In short, the concept of Wu Wei is of course very complex and complicated, but in simple terms it is a kind of living in harmony, flowing with the, the way of the universe and the nature around us, not imposing ourselves or our will upon it, but instead simply living in harmony with the Tao. The Zhuangzi is a little bit rougher in its expressions of these kinds of ideas. To its author, Zhuangzi himself, the self or ego is to be conquered and destroyed as it ultimately isn't real. The only thing that actually is is the Tao that expresses itself in different 
melodies, like to use the previous metaphor. But this also has profound implications for the ethical and philosophical ideas and discussions that he presents in this work. In often very humorous ways, he likes to tell stories that completely destroys any certainty around a certain subject. In an argument between, say, Confucius and Mozart, both have very strong opposing opinions about certain things, but according to Dronze, no one can ever truly know who is right and who is wrong. Instead, when the difference between me and you, between this and that, is destroyed, there is no longer any talk of right and wrong. Instead, there is just the Tao playing its different melodies. Quote, this is also that. That is also this. That posits a this and a that, a right and a wrong of its own, but this also posits a this and a that, a right and a wrong of its own. So is there really any that versus this, any right versus wrong, or is there really no that versus this? When this and that, right and wrong, are no longer coupled as opposites, that is called the course as axis, the axis of all courses. Arguing for a certain philosophical position is imposing our own self, our own will, upon the way of nature, the way of the Tao, and thus it, is, it goes against the principle of wu-wei, or inaction. It creates a false sense of self that thinks it is right, when in reality right and wrong is relative. The author often does this in the Dronze. He points out how our quest for knowledge or truth is ultimately in vain because it is based on multiplicity and difference. But this isn't necessarily a kind of nihilism, even if some people have interpreted it as such. There are sections of the Dronze when the author takes very clear ethical positions and still holds on to certain principles of kindness and compassion. The point is to question the arrogance of some scholars of his time and people who are constantly arguing over the right Tao or the right truth. He is ironically responding by saying that the true Tao is that which neglects that any of your truths are absolutely true at all. There's plenty more fascinating parts and aspects of these books. If you're interested in the subject, I highly suggest you read these books, both the Tao Te Ching and the Zhuangzi. They can easily be found in translations in different bookstores online. Um, as I said, they are the very foundations of the Taoist tradition. Uh, there is also a third text called the Lietzi, which is not as famous as the other two, but is still often considered a foundational text. These three are often considered like a holy triad of Taoist uh, scripture the Zhuangzi, the Tao Te Ching, and the Lietzi, even if the Lietzi often becomes a kind of forgotten third wheel, even in this video, obviously. Of course, these early Taoist works also takes inspiration from earlier existing religious traditions in China. Many scholars believe that the authors, like Zhuangzi, comes from a shamanistic context, which was a common form of religion in the region at the time, and some of the early Taoist practices may have been connected to these shamanistic traditions, but we know very little of this as it isn't mentioned in any of the texts. Another common theme is this. I'm sure you all recognize this symbol as the yin-yang symbol. It is also probably the most common symbol used to represent Taoism. Indeed, the school of yin and yang, which existed prior to the Taoist authors, greatly influenced them. 
The concept of yin and yang can in brief be summarized as the interconnectedness and complementary relationship between opposites in the universe. There can be no up without down, no dark without light, no hard without soft, and so on. In the Tao Te Ching, he writes, quote, There can be no existence without non-existence, no difficult without easy, no long without short, no high without low, and without the sounds of musical instruments and human voices, where would their harmony and cacophony be? It is clear that, that what we call Taoism is very highly influenced by previous traditions that flourished in China previously and at this time, including the school of yin and yang and many others. And this becomes especially clear as Taoism later on would start to develop into something that we recognize more as a religion. You see, many people today tend to divide Taoism into two branches or types, philosophical Taoism, also known as Tao Jia, and religious Taoism, sometimes called Tao Jiao. Now, philosophical Taoism refers to the early Taoist texts and writers that we have discussed so far, like Lao Tzu, Zhuangzi, and Liezi, and their kind of speculative form of Taoism. Religious Taoism, by contrast, refers to a more systematic and organized form of Taoism that developed later on and would come to dominate in history. Uh, this form of Taoism still has the same text, the Zhuangzi, Tao Te Ching, and so on, as foundational, but it also includes complex rituals, various deities, a clergy, and alchemical practices, among many other things. This division, however, between philosophical Taoism and religious Taoism is somewhat problematic and anachronistic, however. Uh, it is often a construction by modern writers who wish to sort of extract the pure or original form of Taoism, the philosophical one, and separate it from what came later, which is seen as superstitious and irrational, strange religious practice. But thankfully, many scholars today have started to question and reject this idea. Instead, what it's considered philosophical Taoism could simply be seen as the theoretical aspect of the practices of religious Taoism and vice versa. The early Taoist writers most likely practiced certain forms of shamanism, alchemy, or other practices that would today be seen as irrational or superstitious. So in my opinion, we should probably start to forget about this distinction between philosophical and religious Taoism. But that isn't to say that there isn't a difference between these early Taoist writers and the more institutionalized traditions that would develop later. Indeed, by the time of Lao Tzu and Zhuangzi and Li Tzu, and all the way up to basically the, the second century AD and during the Han Dynasty, there was no um, organized form of Taoism. There was no group who called themselves Taoists. So for the first few centuries, what we call Taoism was simply a very loosely connected group of individual scholars or writers who shared similar cosmological and metaphysical ideas and who were likely inspired by the Tao Te Ching in particular. In the 2nd century CE, specifically in the year 142, the figure Zhang Daoling was visited in a dream by Lao Tzu, he claims, who at this point had been started to be associated with a deity and who gave him the title Celestial Master. And Zhang Daoling subsequently founded the so-called Way of the Celestial Masters. This can be said to be the first organized form of Taoism and thus to some the start of so-called religious Taoism. 
From this point on, this school and many others would develop into strong religious institutions that sometimes held political power in China, but always remained a strong component of society. To go through all these various different schools or traditions that we call Taoism in history is frankly beyond the scope of my own knowledge, to be honest. But in very simple terms, from the second century onwards, that would develop a multitude of different organized forms of Taoism, which could differ very drastically from each other. The only thing that they all had in common was uh, a certain connection to these early texts, like Zhuangzi, the the Tao Te Ching, and so on, as well as also other later texts that they all saw as authoritative. Some of these figures, like Lao Tzu, became viewed as deities or gods and were given significant roles in the cosmology and metaphysics of the religion. The practices and beliefs of these Taoist traditions are varied and complicated. The links between what is called Chinese folk religion and Taoism can be seriously blurry and we should abandon any such clear distinction. They include belief and offerings to various deities, spirits and demons, alchemical practices and what we call Chinese medicine. These alchemical practices include both what we would call external alchemy, that is the physical manipulation of substances to create elixirs and such things, as well as kind of internal alchemy devoted to cultivating one's own inner life and purifying one's soul from evil inclinations, to use very Western concepts to explain it. It also includes elaborate rituals performed by a class of priests that include offerings and music, among many other things, different meditation practices related to the cultivation of inner energy, known as qi, a theme that prevails in the early text as well. We find this in a lot of these traditions. Another famous component is different traditions associated with the search for immortality through different means, for example. The deities or gods of Taoism are also very fascinating, for example. And there are also components where Taoism can appear very similar to other seemingly unconnected traditions. There is talk about the microcosm of the human being being a reflection of the macrocosm, which is obviously a very famous hermetic idea associated with the tradition of hermeticism, and which also pops up in things like Sufism. This connection with other religious traditions is, of course, very significant for the development and history of Taoism. Taoism, like any other religious traditions, of course, changes and evolves over time and place, and none of these meetings with other religions has been as significant as Taoism's meeting with various forms of Buddhism. Buddhism came to China very early on, as early as the Han Dynasty in the 3rd century CE or thereabouts. Thus, from the very earliest stage of organized Taoism or religious Taoism, it was in contact with thinkers, monks, and philosophers from the Buddhist tradition. The interactions between these two religions would prove both fruitful and sometimes also competitive. Especially in the early period, we find examples where there were great animosity between these two traditions. There were examples of Buddhists and Buddhist leaders who would oppress and persecute Taoists, something that goes against the preconceived notion that Buddhism is inherently peaceful or tolerant and open, but there's also the example of the opposite, with Taoist leaders sometimes persecuting and oppressing Buddhists. But even if there have been these kinds of periods of awkwardness between these religions, 
it has also been incredibly fruitful on both sides of the spectrum. The particularly Chinese forms of Buddhism that developed often strongly adopted elements of Taoism. This includes schools like the Tiantai school and especially Chan Buddhism, more famously known through its Japanese name Zen Buddhism. In Chan or Zen, we find many influences from Taoist thought to the point that some authors have claimed that the true spirits of the early Taoist writers like Zhuangzi and Lao Tzu is actually carried forward not by the Taoists themselves, but by the Zen Buddhists, rather than those pesky superstitious folk who called themselves Taoists. This kind of view should probably be viewed critically, but it's also a good point to show just how much, particularly Chinese and Japanese forms of Buddhism, owe to Taoism, and probably also the other way around. In general, religion in the Far East often functions in a very different way than what we would expect from a Western perspective on religion. Uh, the lines between different religions is often very unclear as the, they often had a more fluid, uh, you could say, approach to religious differences, even if, of course, there have been many periods of animosity and conflict, as I have just talked about. As we can see then, Taoism has taken on many different forms throughout history, not only in its multitude of different organized forms, but also through influencing and basically becoming part of other religions altogether. In the modern world, there has been a resurgence of interest in Taoism in the West. This is often associated with the so-called New Age movement and other new religious movements that tend to favor Eastern religions or wisdoms. Practices like Tai Chi and Feng Shui, often associated with Taoism, are commonly seen in the Western context. This is, of course, quite different from the forms of Taoism that tends to be practiced in China itself today, which is often the case with kind of westernized forms of Eastern religions. In short, Taoism is a tradition that is very much still alive today. The wisdoms contained in the Tao Te Ching, the Zhuangzi, and the Lietzi are appealing to readers today just as they were to those who lived 2,000 years ago. They have inspired a vast amount of different religious and philosophical traditions, both in native China but also lately in the Western world. Perhaps they simply appeal to a universal human condition that longs for a simpler life, one that is more in tune with the environment around us and the natural world, however you choose to define that. In Taoism, we are told to act without effort, to be just, humble, and patient, and perhaps above all, to just simply let go and be one with the way of the universe. And regardless of your opinion on these things, that is a very tempting proposition. I'll see you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.